Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Redefining Security podcast. Have you ever thought that we are selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Perhaps we are. So let's look at how we can organize a successful InfoSec program that integrates people, process, technology, and culture to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. Pentera, the leader in automation security validation, allows organizations to continuously test the integrity of all cybersecurity layers by emulating real-world attacks at scale to pinpoint the exploitable vulnerabilities and prioritize remediation towards business impact. Learn more at pentera.io. You're very welcome to a new episode of Redefining Cybersecurity here on ITSP Magazine. This is Sean Martin, your host, and I'm thrilled to have you on joining me again today as we explore the world of operationalizing security in a way that uh, not just protects the business from risk, but actually helps them grow and protect the revenue they generate as well. And uh, there's a lot in making that happen, Uh, looking at two sides of the same coin in many cases. And today, uh, one of the coins popped up on my uh, LinkedIn feed, as it often does, that, that uh, triggers something for me. And it's a topic that covers two things. One that I love, risk management, and the other that I can't understand why we have such a hard time with it still, <laughs> vulnerability management. <laughs> and uh, there's evidently a, a convergence of those two worlds uh, in, in, uh, in, a, in the market, if you will, uh, with the growth of the vulnerability management space, taking on some risk uh, aspects and moving more toward a proactive security posture, uh, which the, uh, the, the team at Omdia have been, been looking at a lot. And I'm thrilled to have Andrew Bromberg on. Uh, Andrew, thanks for uh, joining me. Yeah, uh, great to be with you. Thank you. And uh, so I believe you you led the, the research that that uh, produced the reports. I think there are probably many hands involved, but uh, you're the one that gets to chat with me about this today. Right, right. Well, happy to uh, happy to be here to do. It. But yes, was a primary author of a recent uh, what we call Omnia Universes, uh, which are our comparative reports. Uh, this one on uh, risk-based vulnerability management just came out. Uh, I think it became publicly available just last week. Perfect. I'm excited to jump on it quickly here and, and get people to think about what what the world ahead looks like uh, for them in, in their security operations and risk management programs uh, starting today, right? Uh, they have a lot to think about today. Before we get into the report and, and a bunch of stuff surrounding it that I think uh, our audience will want to hear, Andrew, um, maybe a few words about your role at Omdia and, and uh, maybe a few highlights of your journey into that role. Uh, to kind of set the stage for what? Yeah, I, I, I'm in the I'm a principal analyst in the security operations service at Omdia. Uh, I've been over there about uh, 18 months or so, and since I came on board, I've been mostly focusing on 
you know, what we call these proactive uh, bits that uh, are increasingly uh, becoming more important for security operations teams. Uh, before that, uh, I, I had been at NSS Labs for, for quite a while running their their uh, qualitative analyst uh, arm to that traditional security testing house. I think uh, everybody listening knows NSS. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I hope so anyway. Um, well, thrilled to have you on. Let's yeah. let, let's kick it off. So I, I think what the report shows is uh, there's, there's a trend for the merging or the convergence of risk management and vulnerability management where uh, the activities and operations perhaps are driven more by risk than, and just by pure uh, figures, mean time to, uh, <laughs> to patch maybe. Um, so I don't know, I, I probably summarized it probably not well. So I'm hoping you can kind of give us a, a view into what risk-based vulnerability, man vulnerability management is and maybe how we arrive to a point where we actually look at this now as a as its own market. Yeah, absolutely. And I think best to kind of start at the, the beginning, which would be, you know, what was what we can call maybe legacy vulnerability management, not not doing well, what was it not keeping up with? Uh, and I and I would say maybe also that, you know, we certainly view a risk-based uh, VM as, as kind of that next generation, that evolution. Uh, you know, if anything, we need more vulnerability management than we did, you know, even uh, 10 years ago. Uh, you know, I think we're all familiar with the big three players there. They've been around now for decades. Um, you know, most of them kind of coming in the market, uh, you know, kind of focused on uh, that visibility aspect of uh, having sensors. Uh, they gave them uh, a feel for the assets within the organization and then obviously doing the vulnerability scanning to understand uh, what some of the exposures might be. Uh, the problem was kind of twofold uh, for why we're kind of moving to this, this risk-based approach. One was the sheer volume of CVEs, right? If you look at the national vulnerability database, uh, you know, we're up around 200,000 registered <coughs> uh, software vulnerabilities. Uh, the rate of growth is really kind of uh, accelerating the last uh, five or six years. Uh, and so you're, you're left with this, you know, uh, the, your bucket of things to worry about uh, has been getting bigger and bigger. And the usual way uh, that folks would try to prioritize uh, often was just based on that CVSS, right? That security score that's going to be attached and, and often not even the full CVSS score. And we can kind of get into some of that, but more just that base score, right? And so then if you're just putting this into a spreadsheet and filtering by CVSS score, you know, boy, you still got a lot to do every day, right? So your ability to keep up and to really understand, uh, you know, is that really the best metric for me to decide whether I should tackle this, you know, uh, in cycle, out of cycle? I mean, there's a lot of, of, of risk, as we know, associated with some of this patch activity as well. So uh, what these risk-based guys came in and started doing, and, there, and there's, you know, now that market's probably, you know, easily a couple dozen vendors, and certainly those traditional vulnerability guys have been moving in this uh, direction as well, uh, is to look for a better way. Uh, well, let me back up. I mean, one, well, I guess I say, 
One is that prioritization bit. The other is that we're no longer in that environment where maybe a couple well-placed network scanners are really going to give you that full visibility into your digital domain, right? So we've got the one question of how do we understand our complete digital landscape? And then, you know, how do we make sure we uh, can prioritize what action would best reduce risk uh, given the, everything on our plate, right? And so it's interesting. You see that most of these newer guys that come in are not so interested in developing their own scanner technologies. They just want to be open to pulling in a lot of this telemetry that now is available from a lot of other security and other controls, right? And all the emphasis has really been around uh, this idea of figuring out how to best prioritize uh, what the risk associated with each vulnerability on each particular asset uh, is. And so I don't know if that's a short, quick description of what they're doing, but that, let me let me stop there and see if that made sense at least. Oh, I love it. I love it. And I, I can only, I've not done it. Um, I've, I've done a lot of things, but I've not been an analyst uh, sitting there trying to patch stuff that comes in. Um, so I, I don't know the pain. I can only imagine how immense it might be uh, having a full list every day to come come to work to. Um, so that's not fun. But if if I can get a risk based view with a vision or some context and some insight into how this impacts operations, how this impacts business, and how my work then can help protect the business, I think it, it becomes more interesting as an analyst. But then also um, I'm presumably focusing on things that really matter, which ultimately helps the business. And it isn't just for purposes of saying, you got me this budget. I patched X number of things. I'm doing a good job. Right. Yeah. You, you hit a couple of really important pieces there around context and value. Right. And if we can shift this conversation to one of verifiable risk reduction, then having a conversation about ROI becomes a little more straightforward. Right. Uh, but the context really comes in two main uh, buckets. And but one of one of them is that, you know, if we go back to thinking about CBSS and how they think about these additional uh, pieces uh, beyond a severity associated with the actual vulnerability. You've either got an environmental piece or a temporal piece, right? Uh, and the environmental would get into a very specifically asset criticality, and that gets to business value, right? Some assets are just worth protecting more than other assets. And if you have a really firm understanding of asset criticality, then understanding impact of risk is a lot easier. Even if you don't put an actual quantitative, like assign a number to it, it still helps you relatively to determine if something should be prioritized over something else just based on uh, that. And then a temporal bit is also something that these guys are spending just a huge amount of time on. And the main kind of uh, bit of a threat intelligence around, uh, you know, something new is exploit code, right? So when you again, when you're thinking about prioritization, if there's no, if a if a CVE has not been exploited yet in the wild, and there's no sign of that, uh, then you know that gives you a pretty good feel that that might be something you could defer or maybe ignore for a little while. And 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 so just understanding those two bits of data really give you, I think, it, it, 
if you've got that in your head, you've got a pretty high level view of how these guys would attack the problem and think about prioritization based on the very latest current threat landscape in the in the specifics of your business that you're trying to run and protect. So uh, thousands of questions in my head. Um, I'm just thinking about how like things like uh, do you actually have a, an attack path open <laughs> in your environment that, that can be exploited? Do you, so do you, you work with things like MITRE ATT&CK and, yeah. and, and other programs? So, so let, maybe let's, I want to stick kind of to the, maybe the outside threat. We know there are vulnerabilities. We know there are exploits, how active they are. We know what they go after. We know that we have intelligence on uh, what industries they're targeting at the moment, that kind of stuff. How you mentioned in, in the context of telemetry. So what what's possible now that may not have been a few years ago, because we have X, Y, Z sources of information to now ingest and digest and come up with the externally uh, based story. Yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of, of uh, telemetry, I think, that uh, certainly hadn't been consolidated. Uh, previously. Um, but, and so part of this whole value add of these products is, you know, again, bringing together uh, this wealth of, of information. Uh, but really the, you know, when you talk to these vendors and they're showing off these products, really the, the secret sauce for a lot of them is really around that understanding of what's being exploited today. And that can, you know, be them getting into GitHub and looking around. I mean, they've got all, they've got different ways they go and try to figure that out. Uh, but it, it's, it's to the point where, I, and, and, you know, some of these guys have been around for a while now, uh, but there's, there's kind of been this constant back and forth between is the real secret sauce in their ability for model building. So their analytics, you know, some advanced analytics, many of them are using some, you know, artificial intelligence, ML kind of things, you know, not the generative stuff that's been all the buzz this year, but just the old school, you know, let's build some predictive models kind of thing. Um, you know, is that what's really the differentiator for our product or is it really our ability uh, to, uh, again, be able to pull in all this threat information uh, and just to um, to make better predictions there. So that, that, you know, I think what we're seeing in the market today, uh, particularly since uh, First Org has now come out with this EPSS, which is this exploit prediction scoring system, the analytics of it start to become a little bit commoditized and it really becomes a question of being able to understand again that that if the first toggle and, and you know you can do this with decision trees too right which is something else we can talk about you know but that could be maybe the first the first decision point is whether you know codes have been exploited or not and not even use these these models at all just do it with a few steps through a through a decision tree um but that um, that really is kind of the key bit in the question right now around that uh, that understanding of the threat landscape more so than your ability to really bring deep analytics to the problem. So, so bringing it inside now. So we let's say we have a good view, a way to kind of shed the noise, 
understand what's valuable from the external perspective. How do how do some of these vendors then shift to help teams recognize what's important to their environment, or to their industry perhaps, and, and their environment given that some things are in the data center, like legacy systems, old Win95, <laughs> whatever it might be, right? Um, how, how do they help get that view to kind of wrap that picture up with a nice bow? Yeah, and this, I mean, this is kind of a really uh, a tricky part for the security teams too, because remember, if the if the recommendation is really one of uh, remediation through patch, you know, we, we, the, the security team's dealing with another another team within the organization uh, that they need to convince, you know, that this is an action that's worth uh, taking. Uh, and so really, I mean, and, it, and it's another um, good reason uh, around the, that model building to make sure there's transparency in the way uh, that you're delivering this information, right? So you're presenting the score, often it's just a number uh, and there's no rhyme or reason in the way the vendors kind of, you know, it could be, it could be zero to 10, it could be zero to a hundred, it could be a, a credit score looking number that goes up to 850, you know. So you already have an explained kind of generally with the bounds around this, so how, how significant uh, this risk score is. Um, but then you've really got to make the, you've got to be able to make the case to whoever that asset owner is or that, that the person that, that, that owns that uh, maintenance uh, that this needs to be done. And that's much easier, again, with some transparency and becomes easier as you start building uh, wins that you're making recommendations uh, that make sense. Uh, your only alternative here now, and this gets to your kind of attack path uh, comment earlier, uh, is to think about maybe some temporary mitigations that might be available given the um, uh, the current controls that are in place. But I can tell you one thing about these RBVM guys as a whole, uh, their visibility into attack pass and existing uh, controls is not great. I mean, that's an area where I think kind of, you know, almost almost universally they're, they're, they're falling down. Uh, we're, you know, compared to what you could think of an ideal that would really be uh, much more helpful for, for doing, um, for doing remediations. Yeah, I can see uh, as much telemetry in that seems like they're, they've been focused on and doing well at, you'd want the same partnerships on the inside uh, with the AppSec, the SecOps, the, um, the yeah. DevOps. Yeah, well, that uh, not to keep you know it, it's yeah. hard. Everything you mentioned, I'm like, oh yeah, probably should have mentioned <laughs> no, that. That's cool. On the AppSec side, I mean, that is one of the things these guys are all doing a better job. So you know, we've been talking about uh, CVEs, about uh, known vulnerabilities in production code, uh, but most of these guys have all moved to also be able to work, you know, do that shift left and the, to dev environments. Uh, and to be able to to, um, <clears throat> to to do pretty much the same thing for uh, for uh, for a, a code that that's not in uh, production yet, uh, and and that it gets to this bigger conversation around not just shifting left, but also an expansion of what what we mean by vulnerability, right? And so you'll see some of these guys kind of changing their uh, go to market messaging into exposure management, right? Uh, which can include misconfigurations, can include, 
include, uh, you know, credential issues, et cetera. And, and again, if you're going to if you're going to prioritize risk and say you've got the next best action for risk reduction, you know, you need to have that broader view both from a, you know the universe of assets out there and all the exposures that they might be uh, might be bringing risk to your to your organization. So that's another big trend that's going on right now as well. Yeah, and I mean this might be controversial, um, maybe just the way I asked the question, but I, it's it's a point I often make on almost every show that that if we just do something different from the beginning, we, and it, it almost always boils down to patch management, funny enough. If we, if we always do something different, we can save the patch team so much headache because we're not deploying a system that's always vulnerable. We're not deploying uh, a code stack or a set of API calls that are always vulnerable. We're always, and these, this team is just always overwhelmed because of the choices we make and the cloud services, the app stack, the, whatever it is that we're deploying, right? So my, my controversial question to you is, are we just kind of adding to an existing way of tackling this problem and expanding? And are, are, we, are we missing the point in how we manage vulnerabilities? Almost to, and you touched on a, lo- a little bit with the AppSec piece. If we can, and it goes back to the DevOps and, and the... And, uh, yeah, the IT ops kind of feeding them to say, if you build the environment and you build the apps this way from the beginning, we actually save time versus trying to do all these weird calculations to to then tell a story of why you have to fix what you broke in the first place. So long, yeah, long no, question. Yeah, no, I think I get your, your drift. And, uh, you know, I, I guess I would say we got to start somewhere with trying to build this this proactive mentality, right? And honestly, I mean, I think it's interesting watching the shift over the last 10 years or so, probably we could go back. Uh, you know, we can probably give MITRE uh, attack kind of uh, some of the credit there for just getting people to be thinking about, you know, those pre-breach steps, right? You know, oh yeah, there are some things going on here, which I, if I had a little more visibility, Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree. I mean, as far as perfect world, but, you know, I think we can start making that shift. You're seeing so much consolidation of these tools and, and um, you know, uh, between the, the, the traditional AppSec and the, and the cloud tools as well, because just so much dev gets done for cloud platforms. Um, you know, I think that consolidation will uh, be helpful in driving your point that, you know, there is an earlier uh, time that this really just brings so much more value, obviously, which I think is the point you're making. Uh, and certainly a point I agree with. But that said, I mean, we've got billions of lines of code that are out there now that, um, you know, we need to keep maintaining until we get to that better, that better point. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm always, as I was thinking of a circle, maybe we do have to go around the circle, but I'm like, can we not just cut across? <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. But uh, so this is where we are and uh, things are changing and with, with change in products. And actually I want to ask you, are these products services offered? Cause if I look back in time, the best way to find these weaknesses were through 
penetration test where you'd have you'd hire a team and come in and they'd they'd look for them and then eventually you got to do your own and and then were, that's why we're stuck with well I can't do all this list I don't know what's important so now we have these tools to help us prioritize now with risk is it still have we moved closer to self serve and do these tools enable companies to do it themselves yeah I think have to offer services what what's the state of that yeah, I think if we're talking about uh, risk-based vulnerability management generally, then yes, we're, we're, we're in a better place. Uh, again, I mean, we can argue about, you know, the level of real visibility into uh, the attack surface, but uh, for the telemetry you're, you're bringing in, uh, you know, it's very much kind of a dashboard productized, you know, the analysts can get a grip, push those, you know, none of these guys also, which I don't think I mentioned, you know, are really interested in building their own ticket systems or even patch systems, right? It's like, you know, service now ticket, Jira ticket. That's what those guys want to work in anyway. So, you know, we're, we're just like a realization that, you know, you get outside the IT group, you better, you know, use or the security group, you better use the tools that uh, these other teams uh, want to use. Um, now, if we, if so, th that would be specific to, to RBDM. If we just take a step up, though, and get into some of those other areas around security control validation and attack path validation, then I, I hear that, that what you're saying, you know, resonates from a pain perspective better for me in the sense that, you know, trying to move, we've got all these terms that people are using around continuous automated red teaming and pen testing as a service. Uh, you've got all the BAS vendors still, you know, how much of that simulation, you know, what, how much uh, you know, heavy lifting is that as their professional services, you know, component, how, how much, uh, all of those vendors are kind of moving into a more consolidated, uh, it's what, uh, you know, Omnia calls, I know every analyst has <clears throat> apologies for the acronyms. We call it IST, which is incident simulation and testing. We certainly see consolidation among those guys, just like we do, like we were talking around exposure management being that bigger bucket, than just traditional, let's say, you know, legacy VM, but it's it's growing out in, in lab. Um, and so uh, I think there's a lot of work going in to trying to further productize uh, on in that other, you know, what again, what we call the IST uh, bucket. And that I think is a, is, a, is a heavier lift, you know? I mean, because, you know, to your point, uh, it's hard, you know, it is hard to productize a pen test, right? I mean, uh, but, but there is a lot of energy going in over there to try to do that. And once you get those bundles around again, security control validation and attack path validation, you know, those, those, that bundle of capabilities could really be, uh, an important addition to this other, this other kind of bundle of technology, which is, you know, let's call it exposure management for lack of another better term uh, right now. And then you really have, you know, when you're really thinking about risk reduction and your options for remediation or mitigation, um, I think you've got a really good view of what's going on in the enterprise. Yeah. And I think that that view becomes possible, obviously. Um, the question I have is, how, how does that change multiple layers of, of the security program from the teams responsible for patching? Do they need to reskill on certain things from the management team? And 
and how they manage the team down um, with that in mind. Uh, also in terms of up to show that they're producing the results and, and meeting the expectations. And then even from security leadership to, I mean, we're talking risk here. So how does that, how does that technical story then ultimately translate up into, into the business story around risk? So how, how do teams need to maybe think differently and prepare for this shift themselves across people process and, and other tech, as you mentioned, integration. Yeah. Other stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that, that's the big, right. I mean, processing people are always tougher, you know, than the technology, I guess there's, Couple ways to answer that. I mean, one is you know we are just predicting this shift in spend. You know, if we've again got the traditional preventative bucket around, you know, AV and firewalls and everything else that kind of tried to <clears throat> stand in front of your solutions, and then all the reactive stuff that we all know and love around detection and response. Uh, you know none of those investments are going away or those, you know, future investments. Uh, what we're saying is, you know, we sh should change, try to change the conversation to one again of thinking about return on investment in that if that, if risk reduction is your metric there, instead of just, you know, <laughs> mean time to response or, you know, we, we need a better method for figuring out what's working. And we think, proactive really lends itself to those kind of conversations. Uh, and particularly as we move this conversation up into other comparatively with other types of enterprise risk, right? And so I think from an operational perspective, certainly, you know, for the, for the next <clears throat> couple of years, you know, I don't think there has to be a lot of pain for any of these groups. Again, we're gonna, we're gonna be pushing out these recommendations uh, through the usual channels, you know, folks aren't having to learn a lot of new uh, capabilities or use new tools outside of the, you know, this, uh, probably the SOC. Um, but, you know, we, um, we probably need to shift our thinking. And if you look at the largest organizations right now, I think this is, this is already happening, where you kind of just take a step back and you say, you know, we really do need to kind of reassess how we approach cyber risk. In this shift to a dedicated, you know, cyber risk team starts making more sense when all these tools are in place. And you can kind of make the argument that you do really have a holistic view of what your risk profile is, at least, you know, <clears throat> within the, the, the cyber realm. Uh, and so so I see more of a kind of need for change as you as you kind of move up out of those, uh, you know, operational uh areas uh and then of course you want to be able to make the case that you do have a view that allows uh the quantification of risk at some point right uh which um you know allows you to really have more of that board level conversation about what the actual cost of any of these risks would be you know those are all longer term they're they're actually i think going to be harder to do because again you know i really do think at the operational levels we've been mostly talking about building trust is something you're just going to do it's either going to work or it's not you're going to you know these guys are going to take your advice or they're not but it's kind of a day-to-day -day thing where you see value in it or you don't uh, you know, kind of that top-down approach to me is is really always. I've always thought that was a tougher, uh, going to be a tough tougher sell, and to be able to you know kind of 
uh, be able to um, to defend some of those uh, those ideas. So, you know, bring it up from the bottom up, get to the point where we really can, uh, you know, reasonably attach an impact figure, <clears throat> put a dollar figure on that impact. And now you get into where your CISO can get in there and really have an informed conversation about how this risk compares uh, to the other business risks that, that, you know, at the CEO level, they're, they're having to make those decisions about a spend. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it gets uh, un, unwieldy and uh, complicated because I, I'm picturing in some of the largest organization, a risk, a risk management organization and a chief risk officer who looks at everything from physical to cyber to data to whatever, right? Um, e ecology, geography, political, all those risks come bundling under. And I would expect them to kind of look for and pull up this information versus the bottom up that you described. So maybe, maybe the majority of organizations don't have that maturity level yet. And it's really the CISO kind of presenting this risk to a group that cares about the risk and maybe doesn't have a formal former operational arm for it yet. Uh, I want to, I want to switch to, um, kind of, we, we talked a little bit about what some changes might be necessary to, to, uh, get the most out of this new, new capability. I'm wondering, are there organizations that are more prime to leverage RBVM and maybe some that it's too early for them. I don't know other attributes that say you're in a good spot, <laughs> go, go for it. Or if you haven't got this dressed yet, you're just, you're going to be wasting your time and, and money. Yeah, no, I think, uh, well, I mean, I, it helps if you're, if you're large enough to have a service now or, you know, some of those operational tools in place, that's for sure. But I mean, all of our research in Omnia, you know, just shows broad, uh, you know, Current deployment for uh, for generally vulnerability vulnerability management uh, solutions. So I think you know that expertise is in place. These are just tools you know that you you upgrade to. Uh, they could even augment some of those historic tools for sure. Uh, and I think you know what our our research certainly shows. You know across uh, industries um, and, and and pretty far down market that these are probably tools you're going to be able to take. Uh, immediate value for from because again you know the the other thing our, our research shows is that you know uh, visibility isn't necessarily the biggest problem now it's figuring out you know it's at alert overload uh, if you're talking about the uh, <clears throat> detection response side or just an inability to know you know what to do next it's it's not that you don't have enough to do <laughs> and these tools are, are really geared to just to, to helping you figure out what to do next. Right. Interesting. I've, I've read some, some research that organizations in general are moving. They're not ditching efficiency gains in their transformations, but they're looking more toward innovation and, and return gains <laughs> uh, less than over efficiency gains. But it seems like security is kind of still struggling with the efficiency piece of yeah you know it's funny um i was just doing another report on uh, uh security uh, orchestration and uh, automation tools soar tools you know uh and uh, you know 
I don't cover those day to day like I do some of these other uh, pieces in, in SecOps. But the research that came back, I just kind of struck me. I, I just had assumed, you know, the number one value there was that one of productivity. I mean, just automating and orchestrating. I mean, it's right in the name, right? I mean, isn't that what people are looking for? But by right. far, the, the view was that increased accuracy was the main benefit here. And it just kind of, well, when you stop and you think, oh, well, some of this rote stuff, you know, just doesn't get done correctly because it's just, you know, it, you're under the gun doing it. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> the humans get in the way. Exactly. No, I love it. I, I didn't I didn't mean to stop you there. But, um, yeah, it, it's fascinating. I think, uh, I mean, I, I love this world of, of risk management and security operations. And obviously, there's a lot of stuff that goes into to making those things work. And so we, we just talked about kind of getting to current state. There's this uh, a burgeoning world of of uh, rbvm that's going to change <laughs> what's the what's the future like it's not nothing static right so what do you see in the next couple no years? absolutely not uh you know we really do we're, we're to the point where now looking at all these different folks kind of heading they're all you know they're coming from different angles but they're heading all where the puck's going here uh, and so we think further consolidation across some of these different categories that we've been talking about into uh, proactive security platforms. So very much trying to productize uh, and bring this all together into that kind of, you know, all the usual single pane of glass, you know, holistic uh, view of visibility. Uh, you know, we haven't talked uh, as much about the attack surface management pieces, but, you know, that external bid is just so critical and so much uh, as far as some of that attack path, particularly. Uh, and then, you know, it's also the other side of that, uh, people will call the chasm side, just that ability to really inventory your full asset uh, universe or just kind of really foundational across all of these areas now. And then you add on that these risk management of uh, uh, analytics that we've been talking about, that gives you kind of a foundation where all these things can sit and, and, and create, you know, additional value. Uh, so, yeah. Oh, and we haven't even talked about the fact that, you know, the reactive suite guys are all, you know, moving in this direction as well. So you've seen acquisitions from guys like Palo Alto, um, IBM, uh, you see a trend doing uh, kind of similar things. Uh, you know, it's all it's all kind of bundling up. <laughs> I love it. It's, it's a never never ending fun story yeah. to watch. Yeah, see, watch it unfold. Um, if my co-founder Marco is on with me, he's like, we're at the mark, and I always say I have one more question, so I'm going to do it here in in, <laughs> the, right. in the guise of the the future. Um, answer it to your best ability. Digital sovereignty. I, I see a lot of movement uh, to keeping data resident in country. And I'm wondering, not just for RBVM, certainly for that, but how, how does that, do you think, impact how we see some of these shifts, uh, both in terms of how vendors approach the markets and how organizations leverage one or more technologies? Yeah. Um... You know, I don't know that I've got a ready answer for sovereignty on this. Um, I mean, certainly it's always an overlay. I'm kind of trying to think. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure I've got uh, 
I've got a really good. Uh, I, so maybe maybe my thought is it's not going to be uh, a, a primary determinant here on how this all uh, unfolds, because um, we're not really talking about. Yeah, well, what can I say? Yeah. Sorry, sorry, son. Yeah, no, 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 that's good. No, I, I don't either. <laughs> no, because I think the sovereignty kind of plays two roles, right? There's the the privacy aspect of all the regulations, but then there's the we don't want to be subject to other people's stuff. <laughs> no, I, we could take a broader, but I don't think there's a short answer, yeah. which is rolling this up into GRC systems, right? And just thinking yeah. generally about government's compliance and risk yeah. and how that all is going to happen. Uh, but yeah, that that's probably a whole other uh, conversation. So at some point, yeah, it'll it'll. it'll I think it would be. Well, yeah. if you start to hear rumblings, I'd be more than happy to have you and you and others from Omdia join me to. Yeah, sure thing. Have that chat. Yeah, maybe there's something fun there. Yep. But anyway, this is fantastic. I could talk to you for uh, hours, Andrew. Um, I appreciate the invite. Anytime we get into risk. Yeah. <laughs> you've, right. You've been incredible. So thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, for those listening, I appreciate or watching. I appreciate you joining us today. And hopefully we, we shed some light on some things happening in the, in the phone management space and where things are headed and where they are now and how that impacts your teams. And uh, I'll ask Andrew if there are any resources he wants to share that uh, would help folks kind of get a better picture for what's going on here. Um, we'll include those. Yeah, the, the, uh, the, um, Space vulnerability management. Uh, Omdia Universe is available. Uh, you just have to, you know, fill out the the form online. It's probably Omdia.com is a good place to go find that. Certainly a Google search. Uh, that would be a good one if people really want to kind of see what that uh, comparative looks like and see some of the vendors that we're working with. Uh, that's that's a good start. Perfect. Love it. All right, Andrew. Thank you, everybody. Thanks yeah. for joining. Thank you. Please share with uh, others you think would benefit from this. And of course, uh, subscribe and uh, we'll see you on the next one. Pentera, the leader in automation security validation, allows organizations to continuously test the integrity of all cybersecurity layers by emulating real-world attacks at scale to pinpoint the exploitable vulnerabilities and prioritize remediation towards business impact. Learn more at Pentera.io. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at Imperva.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Security Podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.